We want to thank AFB International for sponsoring this podcast. AFB is the premier supplier of palatins to pet food companies worldwide, offering off-the-shelf and custom solutions and services that make pet food, treats, and supplements taste great. Hello and welcome to Trending Pet Food, the industry podcast where we cover all the latest hot topics and trends in pet food. I'm your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, Lindsay Beaton, and I'm here today with Ashley Martin, Senior Application Scientist at Oterra. Hi, Ashley, and welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. In case you're not familiar with Ashley or Oterra, here's what you need to know. Ashley is a highly experienced professional with 19 years of expertise working with natural colors for food, including pet food. As a senior application scientist at Oterra, she is responsible for creating natural color solutions for the pet food industry and providing technical assistance to clients worldwide. With her vast knowledge and Oterra's natural color range, Ashley helps customers achieve their desired shades that align with their brand. Oterra is the largest global provider of naturally sourced colors for the food, beverage, dietary supplements, and pet food industries. Since the company's first color launch in 1876, they've drawn on the power of nature's true colors and championed that natural is best, and they've done everything in their power to bring the very best of nature to consumers ever since. Ashley's extensive experience in the science and application of natural flavorings is why I've brought her on today to answer this question. What place do natural flavorings have in pet food formulations? And we're going to talk about where they are right now, but first I want to talk about how it came to be such a significant part of pet food formulations, because we've been hearing more and more and more about natural colorings in pet food formulations in the last several years. What brought on the rise of natural colorings in pet food to begin with? So I think the biggest thing that brought the rise of natural colors in pet food is the link to consumer preferences. So consumers prefer to feed their pets a more natural, healthier diet, and they also desire for transparency on the label. Pet parents are reading labels now like they never have before. They'll look at labels and compare one versus the other just as they would themselves or their children. So that's something new that consumers never did before. They just picked up their bag of dog food, went on their way, and now they're actually looking at it. And in response to this demand, I think pet food manufacturers have started developing more with natural colors. So these sources are from plants or fruits and vegetables instead of the synthetic additives. Does it feel a little bit like a full circle moment? Because the very first flavorings and colorings obviously were natural. Humans have been using natural colorings for everything from makeup to clothing to food for a long, long time. And then the rise of synthetic colorings became a thing. And now we're kind of going back to natural colorings. So were they always there or did we completely replace them with synthetic and now we're reintroducing this option of natural again? Yeah. So I think that we did actually before, I think it was 1938 the Food and Drug and Cosmetic Act was developed. So that's when synthetic colors came to be. So before that, we just probably took whatever colors were natural from natural sources, didn't really care so much about it, It was more in the cooking. And then there was this big switch to make human food safe. In the 20s and 30s, they added all sorts of strange things to food that should not be in there. Then the Food, Drug and Cosmetic Act came to be basically saying you have these synthetic sources, 
that are made safely. And then this is what you add in your food. So from that point on, synthetic colors were the most readily available, what consumers thought was safe. And it really hasn't changed much since 1938. So there have been some changes, but not much. So that's the regulatory side of it. And now natural colors are making more of a presence because I think we're questioning what's in our food. We're questioning that just because the FDA says it's safe, what does that really mean? Because these laws are so old. So do natural colorings have to be added to the existing regulatory structure or is there a completely different regulatory structure for natural and they fall more under the natural category in that particular silo? Yes, correct. There is a synthetic section and I don't know how technically you want me to get, but there's certified colors. So when you see something and you see FD&C, that means that it's been certified for the government and that's the color that you will purchase. Then there's colors that are exempt from certification, and those are the natural sources. That's where you'll find your fruit juice regulations, your vegetable juice regulations. They adhere to still a strict standard, but they're in a different regulatory portion, and they have always been there. It's just now there's more interest, there's more consumer desire for it, I would say. So what is the current state of their use in pet food? Is it a lot on the food side, the treat side, all sides? And what is the main thing that formulators are looking for when they come to you and ask for natural colorings? There's really kind of two sides to the story. There's those who have been using synthetic colors and want to switch, take out those synthetic colors, add natural colors in. And then there's new product development where they'll want to add a color to make it appear meatier, to make it appear more vegetable. You'll hear that the dogs really don't care because they can't really see it. They can see different intensities and maybe shades of yellows and grays, but they're not going to pick it because it's redder. So it really is the consumer that is making those choices. And I think that Now, there's maybe a 50-50 split in the market. There's maybe more natural colors used in treats because that's kind of a fun, you can play with holidays, with things like that. And then the kibble, I would say, the dry food has historically been colored with synthetic colors. So that's where we see a lot of that conversion from synthetic to naturals. And sometimes manufacturers just decide to take the color out completely. So we have seen that. Then there's more of a question than the consumers might think, oh, there's something wrong with my product because it doesn't have these colors that I'm used to. How does a pet food manufacturer know what type of color the consumer is looking for? Because as you mentioned, dogs are not seeing it. They're not seeing the same things that we're seeing. So this is very arguably not for the pet. It is definitely for the human who's purchasing the product. What kind of conversations do you guys have in terms of, is this red enough? Does it look authentic enough? Do you just go on what you think looks good to you? Or is there some research that says this kind of green is the right green or this kind of red is the right red? So I would say that, no, there's probably not research. At least I'm not aware of it if there is. Um, But a lot of it is done through preference. So when I make recommendations, I think of what I would like to see on the shelf. I am a pet owner. I am a consumer of pet 
foods and treats. And so I use my own expertise and my own thought into what I would make that color look like. For the manufacturer, it's often a marketing decision. So maybe they're trying to match an image, something else, but it's often a marketing decision. And then the larger manufacturers will actually invest the time and money into consumer testing. There's multiple different ways you can do consumer testing, either through images or actual product, but they will actually take a sampling of the market to see actually what those consumers find more appealing. What are the most popular colors? Is it a lot of make this meat look more like meat? Is there a particular vegetable that's really hard in processing? The color just gets stripped away and something needs to be added. Are there some that you end up using over and over and over again for people? One of the most popular colors, I'd say, is black carrot. There's a product in the market that is a colored carrot. It's either called black carrot, purple carrot, violet carrot. It'd be similar to something you might buy in the grocery store where a purple carrot, but the pigment is all the way through. So it's completely saturated, very high in color strength. It's a very stable pigment. It provides a purple shade at a neutral pH and a red shade at a low pH. It's very readily available. So that's kind of my favorite color, if we're going to talk about sources. And that can be used to make things darker, to make it look meatier. You know, nobody wants their kibble to be purple, but you do want it to look richer, darker, that kind of instance. Orange also is a very nice pigment. So orange from Anato, and we can use that pigment to kind of brighten the shades. So again, maybe not make an orange kibble, but make something look more like a salmon or richer and brighter. Since you touched on it, let's dive into sourcing. How does sourcing work for natural colorings? And in the last several years with the supply chain being the way that it has been and with all the troubles that we had, especially a couple of years ago in the height of the pandemic, what kind of challenges were there in trying to make sure you were still able to provide all these natural colorings when I'm guessing you had limited sources for at least some of the colors you provide? As being a global color manufacturer, we really try to limit any sourcing concerns. So these colors are grown all over the world. They grow in the regions where that crop flourishes. So for example, Black carrot, like I talked about before, is primarily grown in Turkey. Turmeric is primarily grown in India, while annatto is grown in South America and Africa. So we have manufacturing sites and then collaborations with the farmers to ensure that our supply is always there. So it's also important that these are naturally grown products. So we have to deal a lot with forecasting. I mean, we need to know how much color we're going to need to sell. Some of these crops are only harvested once or twice a year. Some crops like sweet potatoes. So we have a Hanson sweet potato, a red shade sweet potato, which we grow and cultivate all year long. So then as soon as the crop comes out, we put in new seeds and grow another one. But things like curcumin or cochineal, they take time to grow. And so therefore, we need to know kind of a crystal ball into the future, who's all going to want natural colors. And we do our best to make sure that we don't have those sourcing constraints. You know, during COVID, I think everyone did. So in that instance, when you can't 
ship your materials across the sea because you can't get a container, then those are concerns. And I think we all kind of learned that in the sourcing world. It is something, but it's top of mind. What are, and this is a bit of a one-on-one question, but I'm sure it's something you get from new clients all the time. What are some of the benefits and the challenges of using natural colorings compared to synthetic? Is it mostly price concern? Is it mostly a quality of color, an end user? What are the things that people come to you in the questions people ask about natural versus synthetic? So I think the most often top of mind is what the consumer wants. So the negative perception through synthetic colors and just simply removing them from the product. In doing that, there are concerns of price. I mean, your dosage is incredibly low with synthetic colors. So your dosage will be higher. However, with extraction and technologies, you know, we're really closing that gap between the price of synthetic colors and colors from natural sources. I think there's also this negative connotation to natural colors that they won't be as good as synthetic. So some companies are thinking, I'm not going to change my formula. It's not going to be as good. It's going to be difficult, time consuming, sourcing, you know, all of those things that may be hurdles for natural colors. But really, again, with the technology, natural colors are not the same now as they even were 10 years ago. We've really made headway and making it easier. And then also when you work with a color supplier like Oterra, we can do some trials, we'll figure out and actually make it easiest for you. And we've done stability testing. We know how these colors behave so we can make the right decisions and the right recommendations that get people to where they need to be with the color matching. How different is the process really? I think I figured it wasn't one-to-one, but by the time you get the product to the person who needs it, I think I figured addition that maybe the concentration was different, but it was largely going to react the same way. I'm assuming now that that is not the case, that synthetic colorings and natural colorings react differently in formulations. That is correct. They do react differently. You can think of the synthetic color as straight chemicals. It's very little reactivity, just putting those pigments in kind of like paint. And there are some constraints like red three, for example, is light sensitive. Red 40 could degrade in yogurt. So there's things like that. But in general, you do have to pay attention to your product and make sure you're going to get the right concentration, the right performance from that natural color. So there's certain things that you can do in manufacturing, like adding the color as late in process as possible, not blending the colors directly with acids or flavors or palatins, things like that. We kind of call them tips and tricks. If we're starting with a client who has no idea about natural colors, we'll start with the tips and tricks just to get them on the right foot. That's really how we make it easier to use natural colors. If there's somebody who's using synthetic colorings and they want to switch to natural colorings, what does the start of that process look like? Do you talk about color matching? Do you talk about potential hurdles in the production of the pet food that this is going to end up in? Where's the starting point for switching over something like that? Kind of all those things. Pet food manufacturing, efficiency is really important. 
So we may start out by talking about maybe some issues that they're currently having with synthetics. Synthetic powders specifically can be very dusty. They can be very dirty. So if there's some problems already happening, we might be able to solve those by using natural colors. So we can provide colors that are less dusty, that are less hydroscopic, so they pick up less moisture in production. If they're currently using liquids, do they need a liquid natural color or could they use a powder? Those are all kind of things that we talk about. And one thing that actually comes up often with pet food is the ability of refrigerated storage. So sometimes they just don't have the storage to make natural colors work. Not all colors need to be refrigerated, but some do. So then we would avoid refrigerated storage if, for example, they don't have ample refrigerated containers. So that's just one example of something that we try to think of all those questions ahead of time to avoid any surprises at the end. As the types of pet food available evolve and everything gets more complex in terms of what consumers want and kibble versus other forms of pet food, are you seeing the requests from people evolve to match that? Or are there some types of pet food that just do not need or use colorings at all? I'm assuming that you're largely still speaking with kibble or dry food customers, but are you getting some other interesting requests as freeze-dried, air-dried, wet food, all of that becomes more of a thing? And treats, because treats are getting a lot more complex too. Mm -hmm. Definitely with treats, because I think with a treat, especially in like the meaty treat, they're very blah looking. So we see a lot of requests for that to kind of amp up the shade of those meaty treats. And then also you mentioned the kibble. So there is a large chunk of pet food that has no color whatsoever. There are large manufacturers that just, they don't want it. It's brown, they're fine, and that's great. But then in the other aspect, of the kibble that was primarily colored with synthetic colors. I think taking those out is the request, but there still is a huge chunk that is uncolored. When this episode comes out, it will be the beginning of 2024. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask what you think the path of natural colorings is going to take this year? What are we looking at? Is there anything really interesting or exciting that you're looking forward to research-wise, colors-wise? When we were talking about sourcing before and different things that might happen in the future, we've actually, at Otero, we just launched a brand new source from a small fruit in Colombia. It's called the Jagua fruit, and it's a small fruit that produces a blue shade. And so that was something 15 years in the making with our partner to get us here. So that was very exciting. So we're excited to use that in 2024. Unfortunately, at this point, it's not approved for pet food. So it's approved for human food and pet food is next, but that's another regulatory hurdle to cross. So in 2024, I'm excited to see the Jaguar Blue come to market and next step would be using it in pet food. And that I think is the new face of natural colors. We've been using these same old sources for a very long time. So I think there's a lot more interest now in new companies and new research, looking into fermentation, looking into new sources. The regulatory process for those things can be quite long. So maybe it's not going to happen in 2024, but I think there's the momentum and there's this desire for natural colors, both in human food and pet food. 
And that's just going to continue growing. I see more sources being discovered. I see better processes, more formulations, things like that. Just seeing color in a different way than we've seen it in the past. I always love talking to companies who work in the human space as well as the pet space, because then I get to ask how applicable is the research in the human space to what you do in the pet food space and how similar are the requests? Are people looking for pretty much the same thing on the human side and the pet side, or are there very different reasons for wanting natural colorings on both sides? I think it mimics each other. They both mimic what is happening. And actually, it seems to be moving almost faster on the pet side than it does on the human side. So I think maybe certain brands on the human side are resistant to change. (laughs) So there's some iconic brands that just may never convert to natural colors. Whereas I think on the pet side, it's all moving. The requests that we get from the customers are very similar with a very similar end goal. And then as far as the processes, so the processes are all very similar also. So, you know, we have extruded cereal and we have extruded kibble. So we use a lot of those learnings to off of each other, actually, between pet and human. But one thing that I always find super interesting is that the regulatory restrictions are There's more restrictions for pet. There's more ingredient restrictions. There's what can be approved, what can't be approved. It's much stricter on the pet side than it is on the human side, which I always find interesting. You talked about a new color that you guys have been working on, and you said that it's been in the works for a long time. How does that process happen? Do farmers or people come to you guys and say, hey, I have a thing that would make a great color? Or do you guys get a request for a color and you're like, we don't have anything that matches exactly. Let's go try to hunt something down. Who initiates that process of looking for a new color? Because at this stage of the game, it feels like you probably have every color under the sun. Yeah. So it's both. Internally, we have a team of research and development constantly looking for those new sources, looking for new ways to extract constantly seeing what's out there. But then we also have our partners. So in this instance, it was a partner. We probably would have never found a very small fruit in the jungles of Colombia. So in that instance, it was a partner, but it can happen either way. It's just, we're always looking. And I want to wrap up our conversation with something actionable. So say you are a smaller pet food manufacturer You don't have endless resources. You've been using synthetic colors for whatever reasons, and you're thinking of switching to natural. Maybe the consumers are asking for it. Maybe you feel like it better fits your brand. What is the very first step a company needs to take to see if that process is feasible and one that they should take right now? I'd say reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, Reach out to Oterra on LinkedIn. You can go to our website. O-T-E-R-R-A.com. We have lots of good information there and they can lead you to an email and ask a question and we can get back to you. Many different ways to get a hold of us either on LinkedIn or through the website. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today because the natural segment of pet food continues to evolve and grow as customers get more particular about what ends up in their pet's food. And like you said, they're reading labels like never before, even more than they're reading labels on their own food, honestly. So it's really interesting to hear about what that might continue to look like, especially from a coloring side of things, because you're not necessarily 
going to think about that right off the bat unless you work in colorings and that is your bread and butter. There are a lot of ingredients and natural sourcing and things like that, but colors come from somewhere too. So I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Trending Pet Food. You can find us on PetFoodIndustry.com, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at Trending Pet Food Podcast. And if you want to chat or have any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to drop me an email, podcast at PetFoodIndustry.com. And of course, thanks again to our sponsor, AFB International, the premier supplier of palatins to pet food companies worldwide offering off-the-shelf and custom solutions and services that make pet food, treats, and supplements taste great. Once again, I'm Lindsay Beaton, your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in.